0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth, so thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome, Solar Warrior. Welcome back to another Long Form Thursday episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to drop by. Lend me your ears. And, you know You're giving us the only non-renewable resource that you possess, and that is your time. I can't thank you enough. If you're new here, it's your first time, I hope that you will get a ton out of this episode. Thanks for choosing this one. I'd love to know why you chose this episode of the 320 plus episodes that we've published so far. Why don't you connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter? You can find all of that information at mysuncast.com along with more than 300 founder stories and startup advice. Well, today's entrepreneur is in rare company. I honestly can't recall that I've ever interviewed an entrepreneur who's lost a billion-dollar contract. That story alone is worth tuning in to this episode. But you'll also want to learn how James Wagner and his storage startup, Jewel Case became the live events power provider for Live Nation, how he's future-proofing consumer power needs thanks to a few failed startups and the tribulations of COVID. So don't go away. And a reminder that through the end of the year, I'm still accepting applications for a few coaching slots that are opening up in the new year. If you'd like to work with me, well, look no further than the work with Nico button over at mysuncast.com. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, today, as promised, we're going to dig into residential storage technology, and as Jewel Case's CEO, James Wagoner, builds teams, manages resources, and aligns long-term vision around a product that sooner or later, I believe we're all going to have sitting in our basement, in a closet. Who knows? It's going to be in lots of different locations. We're going to dig into the wild and wonderful world of building a business with an engineering mindset, having the skills balanced out with co-founders raising money, all of that. But first, let me welcome our guest today, James Wagner. Great to be here. It's super exciting to have you here. And I'm really grateful as a head nod to our mutual friend, Christian Siebens, for recommending that you and I get to know one another. You've got a lot of exciting things coming down the pipe. Some some we can talk about, some we can't talk about. So hopefully folks will go check out more about your product. But first, we're going to dig in a bit to James Wagner, who is he? For those who are curious about how and why you would take the crazy path of starting a business, I just want to ask a question. I didn't realize until well into getting to know you that you come from a long line of engineers. And uh, I have a quick question. So as a product of Engineering Parents, I have to imagine they gave you some advice along the way. Is there anything that stands out for you for maybe your mom or dad that was a key piece of advice in your life? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, my dad, uh, he's a nuclear engineer
1: and, and he told me one day, he's like, you know, son, you can be whatever you want to be uh, when you grow up, pursue your passions, but whatever you do, don't be an engineer. <laughs> so as soon as he said that.
0: Wait, so, and what did you major in in college?
1: Mechanical engineering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: Yep. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, And, and, you know, it just seeing my parents and and certainly growing up in a family that was full of engineers. Uh, So my mom's a chemical engineer. I have one brother that's a computer engineer and then a grandfather that's a civil engineer. And so you know, we could start a whole engineering consulting company together. What is Thanksgiving
0: um, like at the <laughs> Wagner house?
1: <laughs> right. It's, there's a lot of facts and data being thrown around. Is, for it sure. a, is there
0: a competition on uh, <laughs> the the chemist, the chemical makeup of whose Turkey is best and right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is definitely a lot of, um, you know, kind of claims and stakes and then you're analyzing each other's conversations and what the science of the math was behind whatever that other person said. And, and then, so it just, it does get a little bit over the top.
0: I bet. Did you learn proofs early in life?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. I, I mean, certainly English was, um, you know, writing in English was the bad words or the unproven, the squishy stuff that you just didn't want to touch. Uh, it wow. was all about the math and the calculus and, you know, you're out there uh, playing around in the the field and, you know, dad's talking about the the geometry of a triangle around landscaping or whatever oh that is. Oh my goodness.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's fascinating. So, You grew up, if I'm not mistaken, in, I believe, Idaho. Your dad, you mentioned, was a nuclear engineer, and he was at one of the national laboratories. Tell me about growing up as a child with your father working, not just at a national lab, but as a nuclear engineer.
1: Yeah. um, So funny uh, note is that my parents actually met at Pacific Northwest Laboratory. This is in the Tri-Cities, Washington, another national lab. And they met um, at job orientation. They both started the same day. Okay. Uh, and, and then my dad being a nuclear engineer, there's only so many spots that you can go work. And then, so you're kind of limited to where the nuclear reactors are and being a nuclear engineer is a boom or bust type of situation. You know, one moment it's uh, it's all the, the rad, the fashion and, and, uh, you can't hire enough nuclear engineers. And the next moment, you know, we're looking at it and, and all of his, um, friends are getting laid off. Um, so, you know, it was, it was certainly very different. It was, uh, you know, growing up in a family where both parents worked for a national lab for the government, you know, from my point of view, uh, I I could see, you know, that was kind of nice, but that's definitely not anything I wanted to do. It was way too stale. You had this, these layoffs looming over you. You didn't really own your own destiny. You know, I'd worked at the Idol National Lab with some internships just over some summers, but, you know, I really wanted to quickly get out of, Uh, that and go into business or into, you know, actual real life application
0: engineering. Real life engineering. I see. (laughs) The vast majority of listeners are involved in some way in clean energy. Did you grow up with this idea that there was that energy and our energy like dirty fossils and nuclear clean? Is that something that was part of the zeitgeist as you were growing up? Was this steeped into you or did clean energy as a concept come into your mind much later?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, my mom was uh, a chemical engineer that really was an environmental engineer on the cleanup. And, you know, if I really kind of look back on my childhood or just my outlook, you know, I've I've always had this tremendous optimism around technology, and that you know the world gets better and better every day, um, and it's done through technology. And then thinking about what is important in the world, and and at an early age in college, I really wanted to stake on I'm going to have a technology impact around clean technology and being able to reduce that environmental impact. And then so it never was a you know I have to completely give up the business side of it, or, you know, I, you know, if you like in my past, I I definitely worked for, you know, some corporations, but in a role, it was, how can we make a positive impact? How can we take what is going on and make it so it's cleaner and better for the environment? And then it slowly evolved into becoming even more and more passionate where, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a spot now that, you know, I can have even more of a direct impact.
0: You are about 13 or so years out. Of college, but you've had a remarkable, what I consider to be a remarkable run as an entrepreneur already, and it's not because you've had a ton of exits, is because you've actually had a ton of learning and you've uh, you've dug your heels. and I really respect an entrepreneur who tries something, does it as a side hustle, works at what we call a day job, and is able to build a through line of the projects that you work on. and I think that jewel case, as an example, is a great sort of case study on how to keep the good and, and let go of the things that don't work. But I want to sort of tap in a bit to coming out of college, the product of engineers, you jumped into and sort of latched onto an idea that you and a buddy of yours in college had to start a business in a relatively nascent category, electric vehicles, uh, and an even more nascent category of charging those vehicles. How did you rationalize I've got a chemical engineering degree, or excuse me, mechanical engineering degree, I've got an engineering degree. I'm this product of sort of lifelong employees. Uh, I'm going to go and start a business. Yeah,
1: you know, you don't necessarily bite that, you know, eat that elephant in the hole with one bite, right? Um, What it was is being a very optimistic, idealistic, 22-year-old coming out of college, just seeing what can be done and seeing what, you know, what's that next step. So in that path, it's, you know, you know, having some sort of vision for sure. But that, you know, frankly, that's, that's pretty scary, uh, especially at the time on understanding what that ultimately could be. But what I can do today is to um, learn about that next step or, you know, build that next battery system or the next racking system. And in that process, you know, you suddenly look back and you're like, whoa, I, I can't believe I got this far. Uh, and the other part of that I think is important is that this story is, is very much a story of Alex and myself and finding someone that, you know, um, Alex and I met freshman year of college, um, Alex Livingston, and uh, we started that first company R2EV in 2007 and now Jewel Case And uh, we have a, you know, really great balance because you need that you know, the crazy entrepreneur and then you need the guy that can really kind of execute around that. And then so, you know, Alex is the one that really pushes the vision forward. And then I'm the guy that will kind of be, you know, backfill or to fill that in. And, and you know, these conversations have been going on for a very long time. And then so uh, he's pushing me and then I'm pushing him.
0: So R2EV is a pretty interesting story. You founded R2EV as a modular battery company for electric vehicles is essentially the ability other like unlike what tesla did which is a skate everybody's familiar with uh batteries on board they're packed that nobody can touch them except the manufacturer your idea was this should be hot swappable like the batteries in an rc car how did you execute on that idea and how did you ultimately lose a billion dollar contract
1: (laughs) uh yeah so you know, there was first the the vision of saying, "Hey, this is the way to do it." So I think the first conversation was 2007. The world's kind of understanding that global warming is an issue, and that transportation is kind of the biggest culprit. And at that time, hydrogen was going to be the magic bullet. And the first thing that really happened was, you know, Alex and I really being convinced that that's not the case. Hydrogen's not going to be the magic bullet that comes in and. Uh, saves the world from these uh, terrible fossil fuels and then seeing what else is out there and realizing that no one's doing what we think actually is the solution of these battery blades. Um, And then, so at that point, okay, well, if no one's doing this, then why not us? And let's start building that. And then, so it was learning about the different battery systems. It was learning about how to build these, uh, these different things. And, and um, you know, so I, I came from a uh, mechanical engineering background and experience um, Alex has done a lot of product development before and then afterwards as well. And then, you know, having some mock-ups and slowly kind of building in that. And, and it's kind of, you know, when always, when you're faced with a kind of a question or a decision, what do I do next? You know, really the question is like, okay, what can I, what can I do next? Uh, what is the next thing that's going to be, you know, incrementally advance it? Because it isn't like you're going to go from zero to a hundred or you're going to have, you know, oh, I built the battery rack and the whole system in three months, right? That's not the case. But you can talk about the idea, you can flesh this all out and you can start building into it. And, and so we do end up getting into the space where we've got some electric vehicles that we've converted. So at that point, you know, we're converting like a Scion XB from internal combustion to electric. And then it's building out the whole racking system. And there were a couple of different iterations in there. And certainly we are talking about a <laughs> a minimal viable product, right? We're not, uh, this is something that, you know, is not going to be ready for the consumer, but it does demonstrate the ability to have these racking systems. And so the concept is the battery blade. So your Honda Civic will have eight of these blades, so to speak, and your Chevy Suburban is going to have 13. Uh, there'd be about 20 pounds each, and you'd go to the gas station and you'd be able to swap out these battery blades like a propane tank. Sounds and amazing.
0: And so these are like, like server blades or kind of like the way that power one now ABB has their inverters set sort of in a server rack. Like those kind. Of, that's the idea of this yeah. blade system. And then you'd be, Distributing these blades like ink cartridges.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and when you really kind of keep thinking about that idea going forward, it's also understanding the electric vehicles, especially at the time had two major issues. One of them, the most expensive part, is the battery, right? So when you buy an electric car, especially back in the day, and you know this is two thousand eight, where everyone's using sealed acid and not lithium, our blades are going to have to be lithium uh, to be twenty pounds and to actually work. You know, the reality is, is you don't need you know with a Tesla you don't need uh, your 80 kilowatt hours on a normal day. When you're driving to and from work, you might just need 10 kilowatt hours. So what if you have a subscription model with these battery blades where you only are putting in in your car what you need? So your Honda Civic might be able to hold eight of these blades, but maybe you only need two of them or three of them to do your day-to-day stuff. And then you can load it up. But then there's a whole subscription model around these blades because then the consumer doesn't own the most expensive part of that being the battery system and then that also addresses that other issue around your battery system uh, breaking down right like what happens when i buy this hundred thousand dollar car and then at eighty thousand miles the battery is dead right so now you don't own that and you don't have to worry about the capital around that battery system anymore you just pay a subscription model
0: yeah so the subscription model seems to me like it'd be fantastic but probably and you know time has shown that not only let global financial crisis aside the infrastructure, as even Tesla is seeing now, is something that is really difficult to build in. But it does seem like it would be great for fleet vehicles, for public transportation. And you guys scored a massive contract in, uh, in Spain, of all places. So tell me about kind of watching your first product, your first company, go from zero to, a, you know, a more than a billion dollar contract in Spain. And then having that implode on you um, sort of centered around the financial crisis and, and how you moved forward from there.
1: It was it was a very interesting process, and it turned my hair gray. <laughs> we were featured in GreenBeat magazine uh, back in the day, and so GreenBeat's not around anymore. But um, you know, back then, GreenBeat was kind of the featured article, and talked about our technology, and and um, and then from there, uh, the country of Spain uh, reached out to us, and then so a problem that we would have at the or that we were having at the time is that you could talk with an OEM um, and you know such a nascent market that there's one battery guy in the basement and you know now is the time to establish the standard if you can get all of these battery guys together and um, just say you know because none of them really care about the standard right uh, it isn't like it's that big of a deal for chrysler or ford at the time as we can um, see
0: with tesla and nissan having two different standards now and, it's two you know, yeah Chad right in europe and it's all <laughs>
1: Yep. Uh, now it's kind of gone out of the whack. But right then was an opportunity to create that standard. But the other problem, so they are asking for where's our network. And then, um, you know, when you go to a network, being a gas station, um, you know, let's say Chevron or Shell, right? But they are asking where your OEMs are. So Spain really liked the technology and made it so that, that their contractor, them saying we want this, uh, bridge that gap. So um, it was for 12,000 taxis in Spain. Uh, these were going to be Fiat Pandas uh, that were going to use our battery system to be built in within uh, their electric Fiat Pandas. And then they would also build out the, the, the network.
0: Yeah, and and This is 2010, uh, right?
1: Yeah, this is 2010. Wow. Um, and it was a $1.2 billion contract for Spain and develop out this network.
0: Had you raised any money before then? No, no, um, not raised any money. Oh my goodness. So it looks like golden ticket time, right? Like we raised no money, totally bootstrapped. And we just got a $1.2 billion contract. You take that to any VC.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh yeah. Um. And, and we had Moselle engineering on uh, to build it all out. Uh, you know, it's using the, the patented technology and, and then you had BMW and Fiat on board. Uh, and, and we are building this process and really going all in. And it's just like, you know, Holy cow. I, I can't believe this is working like this, but it is. I have one quick question.
0: You're sitting in the room with Fiat, the country of Spain, as you put it, BMW, Mm -hmm. as a 25-year-old mechanical engineer, three years out of college. Mm -hmm. Put me in that that place. So that,
1: you know, and this is kind of the balance or the relationship with Alex and I. Alex is the guy that can go into conversations like that and really, really do a fantastic job really lay out that vision and, and, and pull that off. So, mm-hmm. so from my supreme perspective confidence
0: as well, I haven't met Alex yet. I look yeah, forward to it.
1: Supreme confidence. And then, so I am feeding from him really. Right. I, I am, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, there's no way that, that we can do this. Like, what are we doing here? And Alex is sitting there saying, oh, we got this, we got this and, and what a great balance. Uh, yeah. And then, so when he's saying we got this, you know, I say, okay, we got this. And then, you know, uh, got a contract and, and then started working and, and then, and then, you know, kind of the devil's in the details, right? So, so then Moselle engineering or Fiat are starting to really kind of dig in and saying, okay, how do we do this? How do we do that? And where do we go about that? And, and then Alex and I have to kind of figure that out. So, you know, they're asking, oh, that's a good question. Um, we should know the answer to that. And we have to now go figure out the answer to, you know, just some of these, you know, technical, small little, uh, engineering questions as we went along.
0: Well, as I alluded to, you're not a billionaire from uh, RTV today. What went wrong and how did that inform how you moved forward? So 2010 rolls around and uh, the Great Recession,
1: you know, the European financial crisis. And, um, and ultimately, you know, Spain didn't go bankrupt, but Spain canceled all of these contracts. And, um, and then so uh, we actually weren't notified at first. It was actually on the news where you're hearing about Spain having all these issues and the unrest and the austerity that's going to be hitting, you know, the taxes and the no benefits anymore for um, Spain. And then so then slowly it's dawning on us like, you know, OK, please don't let it be our contract as well. But, you know, of course it is um, at the point that Spain now has backed out. Fiat, you know, can't back or build this anymore. You know, Moselle engineering is not on board. It's just all out there now. And it's without Spain, they, has a key technology. There's nothing there. And, and now we're in the great recession. And so now it's just a, you know, man, that was close. Like we were there and it
0: didn't quite work out. So you had to go get a regular job.
1: <laughs> so, um, now I am working for, uh, you know, I'm working as an engineer, uh, for CentOS. What does CentOS do? Uh, So CentOS is a professional services company, you know, any of these like, like services for business. Um, So providing, you know, they have trucks that drive everywhere and drop off um, new towels, fresh towels and toilet paper, soap. Uh, They also do a bunch
0: of cleaning now as well. You know, progress and change are not achieved by standing still. We must challenge the status quo and do things differently. There are moments in time that change the course of our history and for us that time has come a moment to act now for a brighter solar future. In a global scenario where the demand for renewable energy is constantly growing solar has the power to shape new and powerful energy models to drive progress and prosperity for a sustainable world. At Suncast we stand with FEMUR and together we can shape the future of solar. Learn more about how FEMUR is changing the future of solar at solar.beamer.com That's solar.fimer.com. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with Powerhub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with Power Hub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Well, you spent a decade at CentOS. And as an as an entrepreneur myself, having <laughs> done kind of what you did, I feel a sense of like you, there must have been a bit of you dying inside. How did, how did you go about feeding the good wolf, right? Like feeding the... Guy inside of you that got this billion dollar contract that started this business that still sees this long term vision. And I'd love to hear that entrepreneurial story that ultimately spun you out to solve a similar but enduring problem.
1: So, uh, yeah, right. It's, it's kind of this, the mind games that get played in your head and you know, what, what you're doing and you know, what, what am I doing? And um, on a day, to, on a day job, suddenly you, you know, you can feel a little bit more of an immediate uh, response or feedback as opposed to when you're building a company or being an entrepreneur, there's so much that you have to throw out there and so much energy before you get any type of feedback. Uh, so that was good for me in, in kind of actually being able to see some fruits of my labor immediately, but it was really conversations with Alex and I, where Alex is still being steadfast in, you know, let's, let's go out there and let's do something. Did Alex go get a job too? <laughs> he did. So okay. he's worked at a, he worked at a couple different, um, bar startups. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a couple of different startups. Uh, he ultimately until like the most recent job before he worked on dual case full time was, being the, you know, working for Sharp Laboratories in Camas, Washington, as kind of the entrepreneur in residence, no uh, building that out. Yep. Uh, So to kind of converting all of that technology, but, you know, that's just kind of how his brain works, you know, finding people that are very different people than the normal kind of ilk. Alex is absolutely one of these people that just, you know, thinks very differently than your normal person does. And and that can translate into some really, really exciting business opportunities. So, you know, Alex and I are just talking and he's still feeding me this. And this really comes from him um, to push it forward. And um, I'm there, uh, but uh, he's driving it. And then uh, we're in Portland, Oregon at the time. We just so happened to both live in Portland. He's with uh, Sharp Laboratories. Uh, I'm with Centos at the time. And, um, you know, in 20, 2014, 2015, we're starting to see that, that, um, you know, if we didn't quite get it for electric vehicles, the concept of having a product platform around energy is going to be very compelling for these other use cases and learning from the first application. So from R2EV, that what if we could just immediately start selling as opposed to like this big band grand vision and, you know, all the pieces have to fit right. Right. And Spain's got to be on board in Moselle. What if we just start building something that can immediately sell? And we're not necessarily going to like it because it, you know, our vision's way out there in the future, and we want to build something amazing. But in the immediate term, you can build something that you can sell, and if you can do that, your vision stays alive, and you can continue
0: to evolve it. As you and Alex began to explore and really get serious about it, what were the early iterations that led to conceptualizing what today is the product you call Jewel Case? And how do you how did you begin to formulate? the value proposition that ultimately you'd go out and raise money for.
1: This is conversation has been going on since really college and even R2EV and thinking about the future of power and energy. And in these conversations, it's, it's trying to predict what will actually happen or, you know, what does that look like when you know, you have these increasing temporary portable emergency backup power needs. And what does that look like in terms of when you don't want to use a fossil fuel for that? Um, Imagine a future where there is no more, you know, dirty combustion fuels being used. So what does that actually mean? And then so as you kind of look throughout history... You know, there's this evolution of fossil fuels, and then so for the last, you know, uh, 120 years or so, uh, we have an economy that's built on burning fossil fuels. But how did that first start off with? And um, and then so when you had your horseless carriage, and you've built out this carriage, and you are driving it 30 miles down the road, the reality was that if 30 miles down the road, you probably don't have a fuel that will work for that horse's carriage. Maybe it's being driven by kerosene or you have a diesel and they only have gasoline or it's a very high octane. Um, So all of this actual engineering that had to take place to make it so that you can pull your car into a gas station, you know, and it's, and you plug in and pay for this unknown fluid that you just trust will work in your car. And it actually works, right. And there's a nozzle that actually goes in there.
0: So I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I'm just like having all these epiphanies because I've never thought about the supply chain of gasoline as a standard technology. Uh, when you said the the fuel nozzle, it dawned on me like, this is very, very similar to the charge port, which you were just acknowledging. And it, it also never occurred to me that gasoline, which we now consider to be a fungible commodity, was ever in question of like what fuel was going to drive the internal combustion engine. Car- or, uh, horseless carriage, right? Early cars had a very similar problem to your Nissan LEAF today, which is where am I going to put this stuff back into it that's going to make it go? And and that had to be standardized. Okay, keep going. I, I now understand. Wow, this is really, uh, I've never thought about it in this way before. Thank you.
1: And then, so all of this process happened back in the day. And when we look at the future being transitioned away from fossil fuels, that same engineering is going to have to happen. So being able to seamlessly charge and discharge and move power around is all going to have to happen. And that's going to require a lot of the engineering that has to make it so that everything works together. And you have to have power systems that work for something very big and something very small. And all of that means is that you are building out what we call the product platform that is jewel case and imagining not not necessarily the... The amazing future of batteries being supercapacitors or sand batteries. But what if you build the product platform that just allows that that package system? So if if supercapacitors are ready for commercialization, now you have the platform to actually integrate it with it. And as a consumer, you can actually use that power for your use cases.
0: Just from a conceptual perspective, R2EV was uh, OEM product that would allow for this sort of replication and a distribution channel. You know, I can imagine Citgos and Chevrons and BPs all over the world licensing the technology for their stations. You know, the thing that, I mean, I'm just thinking through sort of stress testing the business model here with you because I want to understand it better. I don't know the name of the company that created the standard um, sort of fuel dispenser, dispenser nozzle, right? Or Or the machine that pulls it up. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, if there are, if there are corollaries or analogs in the current fuel distribution system that you are replacing, because I've heard in previous conversations, this idea of sort of powered by jewel case and being one of, if not the standard for how this hot swappable technology works, both at a home and in a vehicle or at a service station. How do you address that from a business model perspective?
1: Um, So in that, Model, you have to standardize um, the fuel source and, and everything we're describing here. But batteries are fundamentally different than gasoline, and in several different ways. But with a jewel case system, we are we're not necessarily trying to be that gasoline nozzle So sort of, That's got to be standardized, of course, right? But you know, with jewel case, there is a play to be the trusted source of, for those power needs. As you think about all of your temporary portable and backup power needs, um, there's some ones that are pretty serious for you. So we will have, for example, a customer that wants to power their wedding out on the beach. Mm -hmm. JewelCase better be able to deliver. You know, they're not going to just take that to a normal brand. Uh, You know, so you got to be well identified. And Let's just pause there for a second.
0: Up until March when the world went crazy, how were you making money?
1: So up until March... Jewel Case was all in on music festivals and events. And we had. I can see a very how Alex
0: would just love that business.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was exciting because you have these massive music festivals and they're all being powered by gasoline generators. Oh, yeah. And I was in the music been...
0: industry. You, you probably didn't know that, but. Oh, no. First, I didn't. My first job was running West, uh, Spirit West Coast, which is the largest Christian music festival in the Western region of the United States. Hundreds, 100,000 people would come to Monterey for three day festival. Uh, and it was all, I remember just, it was all gas, you know, generators. Every, it was so noisy. And, and like, they hide them around the corner and everything like that, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so we
1: had about uh, 30 music festivals lined up for 2020 that we're going to power. We have a letter of intent to be the preferred power provider for Live Nation and Insomnia.
0: No way. <laughs> yeah. Like the Live Nation. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. So, so Insomniac's the first play, and Insomniac is a partner or a, you know, one of the brands within Live Nation. And uh, so we've been working with the Insomniac first and foremost. But, um, you know, here are the 30 events that prove it out. And then, you know, everyone's looking to Jewel Case to be, you know, if we continue to develop that or deliver. They will keep following us up and we'll do more. So, another example, you know, Coldplay has famously shut down their touring until they can be eco friendly. So those are some of the conversations where, you know, we can suddenly make Coldplay allow them to tour again.
0: That's remarkable. As a music uh, fan and a live music fan, uh, I, I get really excited about that, that kind of, uh, of innovation. But let's back up for just a minute. You were still working at Cintas. You were there for 10 years, just slept yeah. like doing a normal day job, sort of dreaming about becoming an entrepreneur again. When did it become apparent that you were going to do this thing and go get a contract with Live Nation?
1: So very long journey, for sure. I'm sure. And 10 years uh, long. <laughs> 10 years long. And a lot of product iteration and a lot of customer interaction and conversations that were going on during that time. Um, so we, to start off our product, we launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. And we did that really just Alex and I with, you know, kind of this typical hubris or, you know, uh, optimism that we could do that. And, wow. and then how so much did you raise So we ended up not having any type of marketing and we, I think we ended up selling like $30,000 worth of jewel case battery systems. And we set our goal at like 60,000. So we didn't meet our goal. And in hindsight, that was actually a blessing. Um, you know, especially when you like first start off, um, it would have, you know, if we would have had these backers that were demanding the product, it, I think it really would have changed jewel case. Um, so what we ended up though, is that we ended up being discovered by a show called All American Makers that's on the Discovery Channel. And and then so we go on the show and we show our product. And then from there, we we find this event and trade show space that where they find us. So they, uh, there was a couple of different companies that saw our product on there and they wanted to power these 10 by 10 booths that have like a laptop and a light. Uh, with the jewel case and the ROI was pretty compelling. So now we have a market that allowed us to kind of uh, grow and evolve the product where, you know, we're getting orders from a, a business customer, a commercial customer, not a consumer, and allowed us to iterate, sell our product, get the feedback, and then improve our product as we went along and bootstrap the company from 2015 um, until until really 2018, when we really started some exciting conversations with Live Nation and Insomniac.
0: Okay, so there are countless folks who are listening to this and saying this is a really interesting story, but I'm doing solar on residential homes. What do I care about this guy powering trade show booths? Give me a little bit more technical detail about the product evolution. You know, R2EV was based on lithium stack. Uh, you you had this blade idea, which seems to me intuitively like it would uh, be very portable to the idea of these portable power solutions for Live Nation and others. What's the transition for us in the clean energy world to both form factor chemistry and applicability to our market that we care about homeowners and uh, and not businesses trying to set up a booth? So the vision
1: is, is as I said, right, the standard oil of the green revolution. Can you you say that again? The vision is being the standard oil of the green revolution. Standard oil, like the oil company, being the standard oil of the green revolution. Okay. So establishing the standard for all of your temporary portable emergency backup power needs. And then, so it's starting with something that's really, really massive and then breaking that down. And we had an initial go-to-market around trade shows and music festivals, but what we're building is the form factor that would allow everyone to use the same energy. So whether you are a food truck or a homeowner or a camper, you know, you have the battery package that would allow you to exchange or swap or interface with whomever else. And then, so now, um, you know, the vision for jewel case is that it's not just for music festivals. But there's a jewel case in every home because as a homeowner, you have the backup power for your home, but now you also have the ability to go camping or tailgating or go to the kids soccer game and still have power, whatever else your growing and evolving temporary portable power needs are jewel case can build or size for that and solve for that for you.
0: Again, for those who are thinking, well, I've gone camping and I go to REI and goal zero has been around forever and buy goal zero Yeti for 300 bucks. How is this different? So we get we get much larger than that,
1: right? So um, our battery system, you know, starts at about five hundred dollars for the small stuff. So it's a little bit bigger, but we also size up to powering massive music festivals, and all of this can be done by the Lego blocks and the stackability of these battery systems that all work together. And then, so as a homeowner, uh, you would you can buy Jewel Case right now that would size for your your home your use case, your family size, your price point, whatever is important for you as a homeowner, but it's all modular. And then so you can start small and then grow into it. You can buy a big system for your home. You can also buy a system that's just for your camping trip and then slowly grow that Mm -hmm. into something that does power your whole home as well.
0: Well, you guys are not focused on uh, homeowners as a category up until let's say March. Sounds like you had a pivot because obviously all live events went away. Was your technology like future proof to seamlessly integrate with, inverters and other types of technology at 48 volt?
1: Yeah. So there's a, there will be a constant evolution of battery systems or that application in general. So in our evolution, we were looking at 12 volt systems generally. Uh, but the systems now that we are selling, especially for homeowners are 48 volt DC, and that's going to allow them to easily integrate seamlessly integrate with any of these other solar inverters out there. And then also be able to output the higher power output for your camping trip as well.
0: I think we skipped over a really important point. You, again, bootstrapped up until you got this Live Nation contract. Uh, My understanding is uh, you've made a couple of really interesting uh, choices. The first is raising money, and the second is how to manufacture and where. Can you talk a bit about uh, how much you've raised and where your manufacturing process is and why?
1: Yeah. So we've raised about one and a half million dollars so far. And that's really from angel investors. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and uh, that was a journey of itself, right? But but uh, um, learned a lot from that and, and uh, has made the company much better as a whole. So in terms of raising outside capital, um, you know, it was a long journey to get there. And then, so that was you know,
0: 2019. Was that you know, all like family offices? You said it's all angel investors or?
1: All angel investors. Yeah. So there isn't a, um, a VC or fund that's that's leading that. There's just a lot of uh, different individual angel investors. And um, what was compelling was showing up with a product that we were already building and selling. Yeah. And where were you building it? So we're building in Boise, Idaho. No way. Yeah.
0: Is Russell Brunson investing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he should be actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um he yeah, he hasn't actually. But
0: um You gotta hit uh, him up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You should definitely build a click funnel around this, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um well that's really interesting. So you raised the million and a half and up until then, I think it was just you, Alex, and, and one other friend. How do you start thinking about building a team now? You've got product, you've got customers, you've got manufacturing lining up. Now you gotta build people around it. It's not just you and Alex and an idea. I would say that you're
1: you never get that perfect. Uh, I would say that um, you know, just like with any hires that I've ever made, uh, you know, per, uh, professionally before, and then you know, I think with Jewelcase, obviously, it's much more charged for me to make a hire. In terms of the successful hires, it was hires that were savvy or veteran entrepreneurs that really understood our vision and uh, were excited to go along the journey with us and partner with us. And we've been very fortunate to find some really fantastic people. Um, really through, you know, kind of referrals from investors or from customers that kind of know, um, someone that, you know, then we kind of talk with and, and we don't, you know, as I've kind of learned, I'm, I'm not, you know, interested in just hiring someone after like five interviews, uh, there's gotta be a, uh, a, a process for us. And, uh, that does mean that we hire pretty slow, but there was a couple of times that we hired very fast and the fast hiring didn't
0: really work out for us. Hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned in scaling from two to, I think you're at 10 people right now in the mm-hmm. last couple of years with, you know, you get a million and a half in. There's a lot of folks right now who are trying to figure out how to build their business. Market's good. Um, looks like it's going to potentially get better depending on how certain policies align. There could be a whole lot more entrepreneurs out there raising money. What could they learn from that experience View you over the last couple of years of scaling beyond just an idea and entrepreneurs and a couple of early investors?
1: You know, in terms of the team, I think one of the things that I did is I just assumed that the team dynamic was just going to work itself out. The culture would naturally appear? The culture is one thing. And I was very deliberate with the culture. And I would be very on purpose with saying, hey, here's our values. Here's how I model the values. Here's how, you know, just these values align with you. And so, you know, I think that was fine. But, you know, I I would define kind of the team dynamics as, you know, who's doing what and how do... know, how do you interact on a day-to-day basis and making sure that, uh, you know, there isn't a, you know, some friction around, you know, this person thinks that they should be doing that or, you know, whatever. Because at the same time as a startup, you don't have fully defined roles. So it's much more kind of hiring around, you know, well, we need this type of mindset or this skill set, and then they can kind of fill in. And then it isn't like you know thou thou role is this exactly, and here's your little sandbox that you can play in. But more of okay, this person's much more on the systems and processes side. This person's much more on the marketing side. And and as they come in, you know they can kind of take their strengths, and then they work within the team, and they understand that you know they don't have to worry about you know, losing their marketing job from the systems guy. He's not interested in being the marketer, right? Um, but, but that took a little while. Um, and then also that hiring slow was something that I learned quite, a, quite well as well.
0: I heard you say that you assumed that the team dynamic would work naturally appear. D- did it naturally appear or were the things that you had to do to sort of artificially get it going? Um so
1: when i made some really fast hires and suddenly we have a large team um it was then realizing that there were several different friction points and there was a lot of kind of wasted work cuz it just it was just way too big and and people were you know really not necessarily focused on the product or selling to the customer they were You know, it's like just trying to find your place in the world. They're carving out their space. Mm -hmm. And if Uh, they didn't have their space carved out, then that's going to be their first priority. Because people Um, like comfort
0: uh to know what they're doing tomorrow. And like
1: Fully defined, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is something that, um, you know, I think it's human nature to have, like, you know, I really want to understand all of this and really capture that. But, you know, the journey of being an entrepreneur is the definition of just saying... I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I don't know exactly how we go from point A to point B. I don't know how we deliver this to the customer. Um, so Alex and I are getting very comfortable with this uncertainty, but you know, employees, especially the ones that, you know, haven't done these startups um, are not necessarily fully comfortable with all of this uncertainty.
0: It's such a key lesson that is a hard one. And it's one that I feel almost every entrepreneur I've ever met has this, this, they run into this. You get excited because you're going to grow a team and then you realize, when you've got five people around you that they're all looking to you to tell them what they're supposed to be doing. And yeah. you've spent, and you've spent the last 15, 20 years, not having anybody tell you what to do and trying <laughs> to figure it out on your own. And and now it's like, well, what, I didn't hire you so that I'd have people to manage. I hired you so you'd take responsibilities off my shoulders. Yeah. Okay. Well, but that's an important lesson, right? So That's all. That's often why I ask folks. I find that that comes sometimes from, and and maybe this is true for you. It certainly was true for me. It comes from not being an owner operator. It comes from not being that person who's going to sit down and like map out everybody's plan for them. And I often say, okay, who's your first hire? And they'll, they'll say something like, oh, VP of engineering. It's like, great. Well, is that guy an operator? Is that guy taking work off your shoulders? Can you now go focus on raising money and making a brand uh, push? Because if he's not, then is the like, should the first person, and I'll ask you as an entrepreneur, like, should the first person after a raise be an operator, someone that you can hand the responsibility off to of not setting culture, but setting dynamic and making sure everyone's comfortable with, with where they're, what their box is? Yeah. Uh, or, or do you have a holacracy where everyone helps everyone else figure out what their job is and everyone understands coming in that that's what it looks like?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with you, Nico, that you gotta really have those operators that, you know, take the responsibility off your shoulder. Right. And, and um, you know, at one, at one moment, you know, Alex and I are doing everything in the next moment, you know, now, like I, I actually can't find myself like find my way around in terms of the warehouse and the manufacturing. Right. I mean, I'm going from building the battery systems myself to now I have no idea how they're built. And that is a really awesome and also terrifying thing at the same time.
0: Well, you know, kudos to you all for, Being able to make it through what is probably one of the hardest phases, which is proof of concept that people will put money behind and that you can build a team around and that you can get customers. Part of your path to market is direct to consumer. You mentioned your website. How else are you thinking about that path to market? What do partnerships look like if folks are listening and they're really interested in jewel case how might they begin to see you show up in the world?
1: Yeah. So first one website, you know, uh, check out jewelcase.com or shop.jewelcase.com. And we're building and selling our product right now. It's our, um, it's our sixth evolution of the product based on this kind of this feedback that we're saying. And it's really ready for the, that mass consumer product uh, that we raised the money for uh, back from the angels back in the day. Uh, but then, you know, we are solving that easy backup And that easy backup then is channels, uh, such as solar partners. And then, so, um, you know, unlike the Tesla Powerwall, jewel case is, you know, Tesla power 200 pounds, and it's a $10,000 all in, right? Uh, With all of the other components and the install and everything like that. Um, And then what if your home needs 1.2 Tesla Powerwalls? You know, do you spend $10,000 or $20,000? And so what's exciting for solar partners Um, is that they can now buy stuff that's much smaller in terms of the price. It is much easier to install and it's portable as well. So you don't necessarily, you know, it can be inside mounted, um, outdoor installed, um, and it can be portable and it can size from very, very small to, you can get $10,000 worth of jewel case, uh, but you can also get a thousand dollars worth of jewel case.
0: I remember back in November you guys came out with a partnership with Clean.tech. Is that the kind of relationship that you guys are looking to form and how's that going?
1: So we're very excited for Clean.tech. Uh, I think that they have a really really exciting platform um, and the vision of what they're building really lines with, you know, the vision or what, you know, I I completely agree with and and there's some some really exciting um, stuff that we're going to continue to develop between the two of us. But being on their platform and being the battery solution for, you know, time that any of their customers want a battery system, you know, we are the selected choice. And they were very excited for dual case because the price point was a lot lower because it's just, you know, it's a little bit more accessible and because of the flexibility as well. So, you know, their installers would tell us like, you know, listen, let me tell you a crazy story. I got to install that 200 pound LG battery system in the laundry room above the washer and there's no room to get in there, right? And, you know, you need three guys, you can't even fit three guys in there and the customer is demanding that it's installed in the laundry room. Um, Now with dual case, you can, you know, each battery system is, is 11 pounds. Uh, we also have a larger battery system. So we have a, you know, our home uh, battery system, which is kind of the default for within uh, clean.tech, which is six kilowatt hours. And, and then, so if you need six kilowatt hours, if you need seven, you can buy another little battery module, a little small guy that 11 pounds, um, or you can buy, let's say 12 kilowatt hours. And that would be two of these battery packs and the flexibility for the homeowner. And also that added use case for that homeowner can now take it off the wall and make it portable as well. And that's very compelling uh, for these homeowners that actually makes it so that storage is accessible. You know, I feel like every homeowner that's looking at solar wants to have storage, but the current solutions are just not accessible because it's very expensive. You know, what do you do with
0: this 200 pound system that's bolted to your wall? James, the idea of path to market is a complex one we talked a bit about you know partnerships like clean.tech i got to imagine that with the kind of modular product that you guys are talking about you've probably got other excitement and ideas and strategic partnerships can we talk about any of those
1: yeah so with a product like jewel case and a vision that we're building the standard oil of the green revolution there's got to be a lot of partnerships, and we're not doing this by ourselves. So, um, you know, while I wouldn't want to call them out directly right now, I would say that there are several large multinational international corporations that uh, that we are working with right now. And that is integrating uh, Jewel Case within their channels and also integrating just our technology in with their existing products. And when you're trying to build that standard form factor, it's ultimately not about jewel case, but it's about how that integrates within these different verticals or these different channels. And then, so, you know, we are excited about some of these strategic partners. I I think I'm speaking for them, but they are very excited about us. And we're constantly looking for other groups and entities that, you know, can be a powered by jewel case. So kind of like that Intel inside, but when you have powered by jewel case. I get,
0: I get it. Is that like a... Um... Not asking you to name partners. I'm asking you to frame a concept. Is this like you partnering with Schneider, or is this like you partnering with Sunrun? Do you get this? A hardware? Is it a distribution channel partnership? Yeah. So there's definitely some distribution channel partnerships. That's fairly
1: easy. Uh, but it's also understanding that all of these technologies out there. So, so for example, um, there's a lot of competition around the smart home. And so you have Google Nest and Amazon Alexa uh, and all of that. Great. Well, all of that requires power. So if they want to ensure that you can still order that next package from your Amazon Alexa, that's going to require power. And then so there's strategic partnerships with, you know, the big technology companies. There's also strategic partnerships with um, some international companies that have, you know, needs or demands that, you know, maybe we're not familiar with in the United States when it comes
0: to, you know, grid insecurity and all of that as well. Oh, well, speaking of outside of the US, a lot of our listeners are in Europe and in Latin America've got a few in Australia uh, do you have any beach le- beachheads in LATAM or, or other markets that are that are worth mentioning
1: yeah so um, we are selling into Latin America um, and then we've also started some conversations within um, South America as well. But, uh, you know, these are marketplaces where the grid is even uh, more insecure than it is in the United States, as, as odd as that is to say. Um, and, and there is a resiliency or a need to be green. And then so we love to, to talk with uh, groups down in Latin America and Southern America because uh, they seem to get it very quickly.
0: Yeah, they do for sure. It's built in their DNA right now, um, without a doubt. It's an exciting time to be in the storage business. Anybody in solar or wind or anything close to clean tech right now is trying to figure out how they are, uh, how they got a foot or a toe or something, uh, an eye on at least the storage market. So this is a really fun conversation. We've dipped in a bit of how you kind of stayed in that entrepreneurial path while you're working for another company now that you are full-time and you've got a team how you know are there any mentors in your life or kind of circles of trust that inform how you think about growing your business or your personal life
1: i think mentors are very important i would not say that there's a specific mentor but much more of a group of mentors and i really for me i've gotten a lot of value out of uh, fellow ceos and startup ceos you know, these are individuals that are going through the struggles and the fits that I'm going through. So there's a lot to be related to, you know, so a lot of different networks. So uh, for me, I did a lot of angel um, circuits. So uh, met a lot of startup CEOs through like, like this Kuritsu or Tech Coast Angels, uh, that kind of stuff. Also a lot of uh, outreach. So um, shout out to Founders Network, Uh, That's a great uh, network of fellow startup CEOs. Um, And then local accelerators, uh, incubators as well. And there's a phase for all of this. So, you know, the group that I was talking with three years ago is a different group than I am talking with right now. And so as my needs and their needs evolve and change, you know, that can be fairly dynamic. But, you know, I'm very open and candid with them. And I'm very proactive in reaching out to these fellow CEO's you know, for me, at least I now can relate to someone else that, you know, maybe going through what I'm going through because otherwise being a CEO is actually very lonely. You know, is everyone looking to me and I can't necessarily relate the day to day grind uh, with my, uh, the employees that report up to me, but I can share this with another CEO.
0: Yeah, no, I get that a lot. Actually. That's what a lot of my one-on-one coaching is because CEO is a lonely job and mm-hmm. there's really no one if you don't have a strategic advisor and have someone you can turn to um, so i can totally identify you mentioned a word Koretsu, which i think is the is a japanese word i'm not familiar though with the with the network or forum or whatever it is
1: Koretsu is a lar- is the largest angel network globally wow um so okay. they have i believe it's over 150 chapters uh worldwide and you look at like the angels list of you know, angel groups that fund companies, Kuretsu is always the the number one uh group that that works in there as well. Got it. So I see Kuretsu Capital and I see Kuretsu Forum. Are they the same? They are the same. So uh-huh. Kuretsu Forum is how you would engage, Kuretsu yeah. Capital is you know, they would follow on an investment
0: from Kuretsu investors. So I see. So the place to plug in there is Kuretsu Forum. Yep, got it. Okay, cool. We'll be sharing that in the, in the show notes. One of the questions I'm sure asked in the Kretsu form a lot is how do I fill in the blank? (laughs) Right. And it's often a question as a leader that even folks uh, further down an organization are asking themselves, what can I do right now to move the the ball forward, to move, get momentum? What are the important questions that have informed how you keep the ball moving?
1: What do I need to learn right now, and what do I need to do right now? And and then from there, um, how do I go there? How do who do I need to learn from, and who do I need to reach out to? And learning from my network, and learning from you know mentors or professionals, and you know different consult. You know, there's the the network out there is vast, and the reality yeah. is I had no idea how to do you know any of this, um, and you know I become a a jack of all trades. Yeah.
0: Uh, last question on this before I jump to some of the more esoteric things about how you stay sharp beyond your peer network. What's holding us back as an industry?
1: So I I really think that there is a, a clinging on to the status quo. You know, I, I constantly see people thinking that generators are the only way that you're going to solve for these temporary portable power needs. You know, frankly, I, I think it's people not being able to go through the mind exercise. So they're not willing to actually engage and think about that. So they become lazy and this laziness of not considering a new technology would mean that you suddenly have generators that, that don't need generators, that you suddenly don't have storage where
0: you should have storage. Oh, I have a weird question because uh, you made me think about this. I, there's a funny meme on YouTube, as you, I'm sure you've seen, of folks that drive around in their electric vehicles with gas generators in the trunk. Yeah. Right, to extend their range. Yeah. <laughs> Which just is like, it, it's the ultimate, um, like, facepalm. Um, could a jewel case be used for that? Yes, it can. <laughs> oh. yep. it's, the, it's a Tesla range extender. If you're <laughs> yep. selling to the wrong market. <laughs> <laughs> right oh man this is it's cheaper than upgrading to a long-range tesla yep man yep. oh this is that's really cool i think you got there's that's got legs right there
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and there's there are some groups that are doing that as well i'm sure um you know people will be familiar with like spark charge mm. that is exclusively trying to do uh battery you know charging of electric vehicles portable battery charging right
0: um, yeah they have that little thing that sort of moves around a parking lot though yep
1: Um, but then jewel case can, you know, we're a battery and we can easily hook up using our standard outlet and our controls. And, and that's, you know, jewel case can, you know, that's one of many, many use cases for a jewel case.
0: God, I love it. That's really cool. I like that idea a lot. Hey, what's on your nightstand? How do you kind of let your mind free and, or do you?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I try to get back into like the friction or the, I try to get, so I try to get back into the fiction and allowed me to have some fun when it comes to reading, but, but certainly it's not been that case for a while. Um, so, uh, books are, are very important to me and, and reading and learning. Um, what I'm reading right now is, is the lean startup for the first time. This is the third time that I've read it. And it's a book that, that excites me and terrifies me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, when I, when I read it and I really want to take everything that it's saying and, and immediately implement and I, I see the value of it, but then, you know, it terrifies me because it's also, then I have to, Oh, I got to think of how to do that. And then, you know, you're kind of ripping off the bandaid where suddenly, you know, there's several processes where now we have to do it completely different because of some, some practices that the book recommends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get the same thing when I read scaling up or even the 22 laws of immutable or 22 immutable laws of marketing. It's like, Oh, right. We're doing that wrong. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Oh man,
1: uh, yeah. And and I had to read it. You know, I you know you read it the first time, and certainly at that point, there's so many things that weren't applicable to me. And now, uh, where jewel cases, the value I'm getting it from is a whole different level than it was even the second time I was reading it. Where it was like, okay, now I can actually implement some of these. And now it's rereading and be like, okay, we did that, and we can still do these other things.
0: I can totally identify with that. I feel like there are a lot of books where the first reading is just to sort of plant the, the seed in your mind. Um, there's a book called 12 Week Year that I often work through and that I've recommended a ton. And the first time you read that, it's like reading a college math textbook. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I don't know what I just went through, but I'm sure it was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, is there a particular habit or consistent practice that for you has given a lot of uh, leverage or yielded great results in your life?
1: So I think it's important to note that you should always take care of yourself first and foremost. So take care of your own mental health and physical health. Uh, and if you can't contribute, right. If you're burning, you know, you're, you're cooking the golden goose, um, then there's no more golden eggs. Right. Um, so I, I really get a lot of value out of, you know, um, some workouts. So I really work out, uh, very regularly when I, when there are weeks that I don't do, uh, my physical training or working out, then I can feel it. And then, so it's my time that's um, alone. I can then, you know, uh, physically vent out stress, and uh, at the same time
0: think about what's going on, and not necessarily be in front of the computer, but uh, you know, so take a different. This summer, I got an opportunity for the first time ever where we were staying had a punching bag, and I would regularly go down, mostly with my nine-year-old, who has some sort of emotional issues, like anger management stuff that he's working through. And we would just go down together and bang away on this punching bag. Is it that sort of physical release? Or are you, as I was before a, I'm going to go run for an hour and I'll be back and my head. will be clear.
1: Uh, it depends on the day. So it's both. Um, there are days where it's a, I just need to go clear my head out. And then there are also days where, you know, there's some energy that I am really venting out. Um, and if it, and it's a great kind of release that allows me to better take care of myself.
0: Yeah. Cool. I see here on screen that uh, you put at J-O-U-L-E case. Is that your Twitter handle?
1: Yeah. Yep. Perfect. So, um, so- f- follow us on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, Jewel case. Follow us. Like us. Uh, we, have, uh, we have regular posts all the time. Um, so, so that'd be great. And you can check out our website www.jewelcase.com, also uh,
0: shop.jewelcase specifically to see what we have for packages and availability. Yeah, got any goodies for any for our Suncast audience if they're shopping at your online store? Yeah, so
1: um, we have a promo code for your audience. Fantastic. Um, so uh, Suncast, uh, just all lowercase, one word Suncast, and you receive five percent off your Jewelcase purchase, and you can redeem that at
0: shop.jewelcase.com. Well, we'll try to get some, uh, try to get some, some suncast acolytes, some solar warriors over there to stress test the jewel case. Uh, you say what's the, what's the small one, the smallest one? So it's the Lego blocks of portable power, which we'll see is that
1: we have a couple of different packages. And, and then, so while we have packages, you can scale it up, whatever you want it to actually be. Um, but our starter package starts out at about $700 and, and then we quickly grow the the pro package or the very large package is about
0: $3,400 on the website. Right on. Well, for a limited time, you can get their starter package for six sixty five. How's that? Yeah, um, exactly. Pretty, pretty good. Well, we'll, we'll hopefully get some folks. I'm, I'm certainly looking into it. I love that the Lego blocks of portable power. And you said earlier, the standard oil of the green revolution, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Well, let's end today, James, after what has been a real fun uh, ride here. I'm really enjoying it. But let's end with a bold prediction. I suspect that you probably have one. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball?
1: My crystal ball is that there is going to be a battery system in every home in America. So just like there wasn't uh, Wi-Fi routers in a home uh, 20 years ago, now, everyone's got a Wi Fi router. Well, you're going to have a battery system, and this is for a large home, and this is also for a small home. This is for a condo, a studio, an apartment, a townhouse, a ranch home. All of them are going to have battery storage systems in there and this is what gets me excited this is why i know that uh jewel case is on the right track because we have the patents and the technology to be a compelling solution for all of these backup power needs
0: i love that your prediction is the uh, that the the battery the home battery is the appliance of the next decade effectively we'll be watching with bated breath the lego blocks of portable power as you grow jewel case into what i suspect will be a very interesting business in the coming years we've been chatting with james wagner ceo and co-founder of jewel case so good to have you on the show great to be here nico i had a lot of fun all right all right solar warriors what an exciting time to be watching this storage market unfold before us unprecedented cost drops and technological advancements and with entrepreneurs like James Wagner and companies like Jewelcase, the competition and the options just keep getting more compelling. Thank you, James, for sharing your journey with us and for contributing to the further reduction of storage costs so that we can benefit from it. Hey gang, I twisted James' arm so that you all can benefit today from a Jewel Case system as we round out the year, Solar Warriors. If you'd like to have one of these puppies for yourself, Well, then you'll want to jump over to JewelCase.com. That's J-O-U-L-E Case.com and snag your 5% discount using the promo code SUNCAST. Hopefully you know how to spell that. So go to JewelCase and grab your 5% discount. Maybe you'll buy a last-minute Christmas gift for your sweetheart, your hubs, and thank you. Use that promo code SUNCAST. Let us know on LinkedIn, or or ping me on Twitter if you do end up buying it. I'm dying to hear from someone their experience with this product. Well, if you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are, my fellow PhiloMath, well, you can find all the resources and highlights from this discussion and every other discussion, along with social media links, book recommendations, and so much more over at MySuncast.com. And since you're going to be hobbing online, why don't you go ahead and share this episode with someone on LinkedIn? It is such a treat when we get to hear from you and James and I can learn how this episode resonated with you please tag us in your post and tag someone else who needs to hear this story because sharing is caring well next week we have some more fun stories from past Suncast guests Greg Dixon is going to come back from Voltus to give us a clinic on DERs and demand response what he calls the four horsemen of DERs in our Tactical Tuesday and then my friend TJ Kanciechowski is going to tell all from his front lines on his 18 year on Suncast. And a final word of thanks to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. Learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like you twice a week, every week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.